welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Hello. And we've got a podcast guest today. Let's see if they let's see if they want to jump in. Any anything from the, anything from the babe? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> they're, well, they're the third host, so we'll see. I, you know, I'm obviously not naming names. I'm not giving identities or anything. It's it's not for mm-hmm. me to do. But anyway, we'll see if they want to speak up anytime. Um, <laughs> this is a book recommendation episode you found, listener, on the novel The Human Stain by author Philip Roth. If you've never listened to the podcast before, welcome. You found a perfect place to start because book recommendations are spoiler free. Kind of well, as the title says, recommendation episodes where we're meant to give you an idea of a book you could read along with us over the next two weeks or you know whenever you find this out there in the in the internet ether um we are the lightly literary podcast on instagram and facebook as well so follow our social media accounts it's all one word so just at the lightly literary podcast we post updates and book recommendations the the schedule of what we're doing there's some promotions with some drawings and stuff like that so check us out there to see what we're posting and reading and that's where you can kind of keep up with us online maybe we'll do some other social accounts soon but when time allows when time allows when there's more hours Mm -hmm. in the day perhaps are we working on that scientists are we like going to invent new time or something or maybe <laughs> yeah good luck <laughs> the four the four day work week will invent that's going to invent a whole new 24 hour period but you know whatever oh, yeah. we'll, we'll see we'll dream the dream um this again will be a spoiler free discussion of the human stain by philip roth um it's going to be kind of a broad overview where we do some segments and try and persuade you our wonderful listeners to read this book with us i chose this book or no wait I didn't. I just know who Philip Roth was. You chose this book. I, <laughs> I was did. Like, it, it felt like a me pick, though. You and I have like the same literary background. Well, you have a master's and I, and I don't. So you're like, uh, it just feels like a very literary heavy pick that could have been me, could have been you. And so fittingly, it was you. Do you want to talk us through why you picked it then? How did you come across Philip Roth? Um, I was walking around um, our local bookstore and <clears throat> I was just like mm, looking and I saw on a table this novel and on the cover it said winner of the Faulkner Award. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, it's it's award winning and it's a bestseller um, and and he's it mentioned American Pastoral and I was like, I think I've heard of that book. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. And yeah. Mm-hmm glad we did that's a fascinating way to come across a person who is i wouldn't say he's controversial but he's certainly a big figure in you know 20th century literature at least american literature and has kind of a a big titanic maybe literary reputation but yeah that's i like it a very natural way to encounter roth instead of the unnatural way i encountered him in college (laughs) both both are valid i just it was very much uh not put in front of me but it was just a name that got bandied around and you know i took at some point i took some i don't know like modernism postmodernism class who knows how i how it happened but anyway yeah a lot of ways to encounter roth Let's do a brief reading from the cover just to give you, the listener, a a broad sense of what the book is, and then we'll start our segments. So this is from the back cover. It is 1998, the year America is plunged into a frenzy of pure... Already a word I can't use, fitting enough. Is this... Prurience? Prurience. 
Yeah, I mean, sure. it, I, I assume it's <laughs> I assume it's related to the word like puerile, but it's spelled very differently. It's it's essentially a, a frenzy of moral judgment by the impeachment of a, of a president. You know, that's the Bill Clinton um, Monica Lewinsky scandal. In a small New England town, a distinguished professor Coleman Silk is forced to retire when his colleagues allege that he is a racist. The charge is unfounded, the persecution needless, but the truth about Silk would astonish even his most virulent accuser. Coleman Silk has a secret that he has kept for fifty years. This is the conclusion to Roth's brilliant trilogy of post-war America, a story of seismic shifts in U.S. history and a personal search for renewal and regeneration. So pretty lofty, but the book does reach for those heights. So a fitting enough description. And um, already I'm ashamed, Amanda, of my vocabulary level. I got to get I got to get my I've got to dig back up those. Um, oh, what's the graduate test? The G- Yeah, I got to dig my GRE flashcards back up. That's just shameful mm-hmm. performance, uh, you know. Uh, for a book club podcast host, we got to shut this down. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Perurience. <laughs> pure pure perurience. Uh, anyway, let's jump into our first segment, ra- Rapid Fire Recommendations. So this is when Amanda and I bounce some quick recommendations and descriptions off, back and forth off each other. I will start to, you know, set up my good name again and start reestablishing my, my good name. You got it. I, I think you should read this book if you are ready to read a book, a novel, written by a literature professor and narrated by an author. You've got to be ready for that twofer. You've got to be ready. <laughs> it's, it's so true. And it, I think it ties in really well with my first one, which is uh, you should read this book if you love big words. That's right. If you're feeling very <laughs> prurient. <laughs> Prur- All right. No more mumbling. But yes, it's, um, it is dense. It is dense. Oh, yeah. It is it too dense? <clears throat> we'll, we'll, we won't dive into that quite yet. Uh, I think you should read this book if you believe that a character should be allowed to speak for two or three pages or more at a time. Just uninhibited. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's... Um kind of like the the opposite of uh perhaps like dickens who could go on for pages about it setting this is actually right. the character him or herself could go on for pages and pages <laughs> so true so true um uh, in the same vein uh you should read this book if you are interested in changing narrative voices Oh, yeah. And then maddeningly, if you only want one narrative voice, apparently, that changes everything about the whole book. So there's a hint of my frustration with the story. But no, that is definitely a good description, especially, you know, throughout most of the especially like first, I don't know, three quarters of the novel, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think you should read this book. If you've got some doubts about that goddamn Vietnam War we were in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Especially the effects of that. Like, mm hmm. Um. You should read this book if you like discourse on big picture issues, things that are still relevant to today. Yeah, it, it's a novel in that sense, the great American novel tradition of like, I'm going to tackle it all. I'm taking it all on. I'm going to, we've got race, we've got gender, we've got power, we've got history, we've got family lineage, we've got freedom and individualism and I don't know. Yeah, it's big stuff. It's it's like only big. <laughs> there's like no, yeah. there's no character who's allowed to escape into their own quiet little thing. It all means something. So it's, it's exactly. big stuff. I think you should read this book. If you've got time and patience for one more unique narrative about race in America, it's, it's going to try. It's got one mm-hmm. new twist. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's, 
that's kind of the crutch of the the narrative too right the the plot yeah um you should read this book if you like poking fun at academics especially regarding uh, academia's penchant for over analysis Mm. can i amend that one slightly yeah I think you should listen to our podcast if you like poking fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can see a reader coming away from this book not having analyzed it in some of the ways we did, especially in part two and being, yeah, anyway, I'll just leave it there. Um, I think you, you should read this book if you've recently been fired from or left angrily your job. Yep. Coleman Silk right there. That's <laughs> Main it. character. That's it. <clears throat> Um, you should read this book if you think cows are sensual. Yeah, I mean, do should I even follow up? I can't banter <laughs> with that. It's just, how couldn't you? <laughs> uh, we will discuss that soon in the quotes section, uh, because that was the quote I chose to pull. We're not going out of order, though. But uh, so that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, listener, and save that thought, and hold on to the cow sensuality, and we'll see you again in 15 minutes. <laughs> we'll talk in 15. Anyway. Um, let's move to our second segment, Amanda. That's our that's our rapid fire recommendations. Our next segment is the pop culture touchstone. So obviously, before reading a book, you might wonder what it reminds us of from pop culture. Some movies, TV, art, history, even uh, that's not pop culture, but whatever. Any connection we've got that we want to flesh out, Amanda? Why don't you go first? What does this remind you of? <clears throat> um, it reminds me of Jackson Pollock, like him as like this figure in art um so or any other abstract artist who is critically acclaimed i that's just the first one that came to my mind and and i think one that most people can recognize um Mm. so the reason being jackson pollock is some people are like i don't understand the appeal of jackson pollock yeah um but he is a big figurehead in the art world as far as um, mm-hmm. um, abstract art. And so the reason that I chose Jackson Pollock <clears throat> is that this book is super academic. Jackson Pollock in the art world, an academic movement, right? A, a, an artistic movement. This yeah, one is he kind of appreciated he's one of those modern painters who is it only that like people in the know appreciate him is that kind of his deal i mean right. i've seen his work obviously just because it's it's like os- cultural osmosis right it's just like i know it because i've it's just his name gets brought up a lot but it's mm-hmm. it's like who has his paintings on their walls right probably people who study and know a bit about art does he is he a hotel lobby style artist like i don't think so right He's definitely not. Like, if you own a Jackson Pollock, it's, like, you know, super expensive. Um, <clears throat> but it's 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 purely, like, an academic exercise, is what I'm saying. Because mm-hmm. the, um, if you, you might have an emotional connection to it, perhaps. But um, he's more, it's not so much about, like, your emotional reaction to his artwork it's it's more of like an academic analysis of that artwork so that's why i chose mm-hmm. jackson pollock is this this novel to me is is very much an academic exercise rather than an emotional one and it's since it's abstract it already has that automatic layer of mm-hmm. you have to yeah i don't know when you approach abstract art like that um anything non-literal you just have to there's just the, automatically that layer 
thrown in right. there. Of exactly. like, oh yeah, so you have to be ready to do some interpretation because there's no humanity in it directly. <laughs> there's exactly, no literal yeah. humanity in it, so it's like you have to bring some other thinking. Yeah, that's that's a good, actually, a great comparison point. I will say that this has the Pollock-esque tendencies for that. And then also has real, you know, grounded human moments. But you're right. It's, it's just complex and you have to want to analyze. Um, my pop culture touchstone is a real cop out. It's so obvious. These authors often get thrown in together. But I've read a lot of John Updike. He was my favorite author for a long time uh, for many reasons. I wouldn't say he is anymore. I haven't read him in years. But, you know, different authors for different times of your life. But it's, it's him. That's the touchstone because they wrote they're both like writing about upper middle class concerns, post-war America, disillusionment of the middle class. Like it's so many of their themes cross over. I don't think they wrote about all the same topics all the time, but and they were both like, you know, American authors of letters. I'm pretty sure they were both Jewish and a lot of their characters were as well. So that element is in the stories. And it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just John Updike. It's so, it's maybe too obvious is the only problem with that <laughs> touchstone. It's like, they're so similar in their interests and styles and you could compare and contrast them just so easily in in many many ways and so i would say if you yeah if you like john updike's writings like at all then roth is such an easy recommendation um i was trying to think of like a movie because i would often find when we do these that maybe movies the most accessible or immediate thing people can connect to i don't know did you have a movie that this would relate to do you think you know what I will say? I just pulled a great one from the top of my brain, right off the uh-huh. top. There was a Netflix show called The Chair that starred Sandra O oh last year. Did you ever hear about The Chair? No, but I love Sandra O. Oh. oh, and she was great in it, too. The show, I think, was good, not great, but she's pretty good in it. Um, but it's about a college that gets embroiled in a scandal over like a professor's free speech issues and kind of the fallout from that. It's also about Sandra O's oh the new chair of the English department, and it's about academic life. It's about the turmoil that takes place at colleges and free speech issues, and that's actually a great connection, now that I, I just again thought of that off the top, but yeah, that's mm-hmm. way better. I mean, John Updike is the stylistic connection, thematic mm-hmm. one too, but if you need like a TV show or movie connection, it's it's like the chair, you know? It's academic people, people being disgraced from their jobs, free speech topics. Not as much race in that, though there is some but this book's, I would say, more about race in America. So anyway, there you go. That's my TV show connection. Interesting. Yeah, barely had to barely had to stammer my way to that. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I thought of it. Yay, on the spot. Hooray. Anyway, um, let's move to our third segment, Amanda. So those are our touchstones. Our scripted pitches. So we always like to write something in advance, pre-prepared, that you know, lets you know what the book is about, what we liked about it and perhaps didn't like, and sort of what we grappled with in it. Um, do you want to go first? I feel like I've I've taken the lead, but you can take your scripted pitch first. Let's see what you got. Sure. Um, all right. Sometimes you're in the mood for a light summer read, and sometimes you want something that challenges your mind, your perspectives, and your knowledge of vocabulary. The human stain belongs in the latter category, for sure. That's not to say that this isn't an enjoyable read. It surprisingly is, as long as you can get past some pretentious language and analysis, analyses rather, which would, which could be argued as interesting stylistic choices that highlight both the main narrator and the main character's academic backgrounds. This book will engage that part of your brain that your AP English and college lit classes developed. There's a lot to unpack aside from Roth's sometimes overwhelming syntactical and diction choices. 
big social ideas, some interesting symbolism and metaphors, and different narrative structures are just some of the elements of this novel that will pique the interest of a reader hoping for more than just an entertaining story about an old guy's scandalous life. <clears throat> this book requires a mindset to tackle it. It's not a casual read before bedtime. Roth's novel encourages a hard look at American society in the world of academia. It also encourages keeping a dictionary handy. Despite being thrown by the first few paragraphs of the book, I found myself liking it more as I acclimated myself to Roth's style. And it is like jumping into a new world with this novel. Unfamiliar in many ways, but worth it to explore. Hmm. Excellent. Yeah, so well said. It's I think you nailed the <clears throat> the common reading not trope, but habit for people, which is if you read this before bed, you're going to have a bad time. It just is the <laughs> wrong book. It, it'll it'll put you to sleep. It demands your attention and requires it not, you know, it's not an optional for, for a reader. You can't approach this in that, you know, 10 minutes before bed manner because you also, because so many of the narrative voices take time to acclimate to and, and are long kind of digressive and digressive, you can't quickly acclimate, which means you have to give yourself time to adjust and kind of get into the voices and everything so it's it would just be such a i mean it's hard for me to police sound like i'm policing this or something but it's like it would just be incorrect to read this book in 10 minute chunks like impossible (laughs) you have to really set aside the time to to put some thought into it and and like you said allow yourself to immerse into the style and get used to it Mm mm-hmm yeah, which um, we talk about this in one of the episodes, but I found myself able to slip back into that almost alarmingly well because I think you probably did too because of our college, you know, majors, studies. Like we're used to kind of being pushed into books like this, or so to speak. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if you felt that way too, but I was like, oh yes, I remember slipping this on. I remember books that read like this, you know. Yeah, it was definitely it was a blast from my academic past for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely I, I liked it though I, I'll get to that in my scripted pitch right now but it's yeah enjoyable in a way um, here's my scripted pitch we've got a bit of a master's class and I don't mean that like the master class marketing app or whatever I mean that in terms of the academic master's degree sense um, we've got a master's class of a novel here that's the first thing you should know and that either excites you or it doesn't I would say for most book readers it, it probably doesn't but I, I'll make the case that this one is, is worth it for the most part. Um, In in capital letters, we've got topics like race, American history, identity, family, sex, love, freedom, individuality. Like I could, I'll stop listing terms, but I could keep going. I hope you get the (laughs) point. It's really dense. It's very bold. It's a challenging novel. It's in the grand tradition of like, I'm going to encapsulate American life in in a novel in fiction. It's a, please, Mr. Roth, I'm begging you, please stop writing in the voice of an author or professor type of read because it's, you know, it has that voice. And at times I would even argue, especially to a 2022 reader, it's going to be a please, Mr. Roth, I'm begging you, please be anybody except an old white man kind of read because it has, <laughs> I think I think he speechifies, if, if we can use that verb uh, as a verb, he kind of speechifies at times with characters. I mean, it's all here. You can criticize all that. You can avoid it for those reasons. I'll start by saying all of that. Big, bold, intensive, etc. And then here's the here's the twist. I just loved reading it. I loved I also ended up loving how much I hated one of the major choices at the end. And it's not even about race. It's about narrative structure and authorial design and all this kind of other stuff. Like it just 
it does complex things that you mean you have to call other things into question. And I just loved that the even the final scene, which I'll briefly describe, uh, is this kind of strange, ambiguous, and dreamlike sequence on a frozen lake, which... And that may sound like a spoiler, but I don't even think I could spoil it. I could even name the characters who are in the scene, and I don't even think that would spoil anything. (laughs) So there's that. Like, I really love the final scene. Like you said in one of our episodes, the final sequence of the book is almost like a short story on its own, which is, you know, fun and fascinating. Um, I love that it made me confused and baffled at times, even maybe frustrated with some of the character choices and some of the narrative voice i love that it's just messy in many ways and in others like especially syntactically and just a syntactic level um it's understated and almost professorial rage is like pitch perfect it i think one thing i complimented was that the characters are all deeply frustrated or broken and i think he finds a good tone for for almost all of them it's not some perfect thing and yeah i just i guess my final thought would be Good thing the listeners won't pick up on this until part two. I think it makes one massive error in its design, but even understanding that error, in my view, again, personal criticism, and even being able to talk about it, analyze it, and view it as a mistake was fascinating and fun. Mm -hmm. And it's also like, had that not happened, then we would have been left with already a pretty complex and engaging and thought-provoking novel. And I think, too, I know the reviews we talked about mentioned this, but... A bit empathetic and I think compassionate, maybe, at times, novel about American life. Um, It has some agendas and, again, has some biases. I hit those up front. But, yeah, I think overall uh, it reminded me of the kind of book register I I do like to be in. So that's how I reacted to it. Yeah. The, The mess in many ways comment that you made like i i think that one of my favorite elements of this novel is just how structurally it's just so not a traditional novel as far as like it's not necessarily chronological and and we have all these different narrative structures and and i and i liked that i liked the Mm -hmm. the exploration of that well and i think too again I don't know how much this gets into like young adult fiction or the dominance of it in the culture or whatever. I'm not going to digress, but I think it's novelistic in the sense of just it's, it's bold, it's lengthy, it, it attempts things, it's daring, it's kind of, it's maybe a bit overstuffed in a way, but in the novelistic way that that's kind of the point, it's supposed to be long winded or interesting or whatever. So... Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. It's just um, it, it's messy and big and bold and whatever. I keep saying the same. I'm circling my adjectives, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I appreciated those elements of it for sure. So, uh, will you will will readers come away with a clear insight? I think a few, but also it's a book that even after doing two episodes, kind of avoids clear, obvious analysis. And I know at some point I said this too, but I'll say it here. It's the kind of book where you could. You could write just about any undergraduate paper about it, and I'd be open to reading it. Not because I want to read undergraduate papers, but because I just can't imagine the lenses through which this book could be understood. It's there's just so many, <laughs> and so that's 
the that's part of what I know, you and I love books that feel like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right. So with our preparations out of the way, let's end with our final segment where we give a quote for clarification. This is when we actually dig into the work itself and pull out a quote that kind of symbolizes something important or represents something important about the work, about its style, about what makes it work or not work or whatever. Uh, Amanda, I demand to go second because my quote is the quote to end all quotes. <laughs> and it's going to be long and uh, and I have to read it all. So anyway, I'm going to let you go first and, and then we'll end with mine. Sounds good. Uh, my quote comes from page 132. Mm-hmm. As a heretofore unknown amalgam of the most unalike of America's historic and desirables, he now made sense. That f- sentence right there. Nice. One <laughs> yeah, sentence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, All right. Yeah. That fir- that sentence, the first time I read it, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to switch my mindset here, definitely. Uh, but it's just an example of the vocabulary that we were kind of like poking fun at. Like, he loves big words. Um, syntactically, also, like, you never see the word heretofore. Like, mm. come on. Like, that's definitely old school. But it's... it's It is. It's an academic structure, academic vocabulary, because it's set with, like, I mean, his main character is a, a college professor. So uh, that's just something that you should be prepared for is, like, sentences like that. <laughs> definitely. I love that because I'm about to hard contrast by reading a long paragraph. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> this is kind of perfect. <laughs> um yeah, an example of just the the density that you'll have to be on board with. Yeah. So, anyway, let's let's jump now to Amanda to the quote end all quotes the paragraph about the sensuality of cows. We're paying it off, listener. We we didn't yep. make foreshadowing. Yep. That was no mistake. That was no accident of foreshadowing. I'm here to read the paragraph about cow sensuality. Um, this is when two of the characters are are visiting Coleman, who's an older professor. They're watching his young paramour, his young lover, work by milking cows. So let's do this. Page 47. <laughs> there was, at first glance, little to raise unduly one's carnal expectations about the gaunt, lanky woman, spattered with dirt, wearing shorts and a t-shirt with rubber boots, whom I saw in the herd that afternoon and whom Coleman identified as his voluptus, which is, that's a reference to Greek mythology, or Roman mythology. The carnally authoritative-looking creatures were those with the bodies that took up all the space, the creamy-colored cows with the free-swinging, girder-like hips and the barrel-wide paunches and the disproportionately cartoonish, milk-swollen udders, the the unagitated, slow-moving, strife-free cows, each a 1,500-pound industry of its own gratification, big-eyed beasts for whom chomping at one extremity from a fodder-filled trough while being sucked dry at the other by not one or two, but by three or four pulsating, untiring mechanical mouths, for whom sensual stimulus simultaneously at both ends was their voluptuous due, each of them deep into a bestial existence blissfully lacking in spiritual depth, to squirt and to chew, to crap and to piss, to graze and to sleep, that was their whole French term reason for being." (laughs) Let's let's pause. There's another half paragraph here. Let's just pause there. Do I need to even say anything about this? <laughs> Do you want me to explain <laughs> it or something? <laughs> Should I? I think there... it explains itself, right? I think like... it does. I think if, <laughs> if that is the style of writing, if you want to unpack the literary merits or non-merits or choices of a paragraph like that, then yeah, just go ahead and pick up this book and we'll be your happy guides for the next two episodes. If that sentence made you baffled 
whatever that what's the opposite of aroused maybe aroused or whatever the, you know uh, tamped down i'm not even sure what the yeah whatever the opposite is turned off um if you didn't know what to think of that i don't know there's infinite responses are imaginable here amanda Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, any any quick <laughs> thoughts or analysis on that quote? I know you didn't pick it, but we talked about it a lot on the pods. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, just because we, I I will just say again, like women do not like being compared to cows. So, but what, just, what about you know. this comparison, Amanda? There's four mechanical cows sucking those full undulating udders. There's and there's no even that. I mean, God. What, can't men just get a break in this country? <laughs> you know, we're really trying here. We're really trying to connect, you know, but gosh, those men are men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Am I right, Amanda? Yep. Never truer yep. than in this paragraph. It's uh, quite a scene, quite a scene. So, yeah, I don't, I guess the only thing I would say, reading it again, especially aloud to a potential audience, I, I don't know. I think it's meant to be a bit humorous, but... Uh, the person who wrote it, this author Zuckerman, I'll leave it up to the episodes to unleash my thoughts about that. But it does anyway. It's complicated. But there's there's that paragraph. If again unpacking something like that interests you, and you can find the merits and also hilarity and maybe I don't know overextended nonsense of it. I think that's part of the joy. Any final thoughts? Then I'm going to end on that quote. We have to right. <laughs> Got to end with the utters. Um, any final thoughts on the human stain by Philip Roth? Uh, nope, I, I found it surprisingly... Uh, at first, I was like, I'm not going to like this. But then the further I got in, I was like, actually, okay. Yeah. Yeah. These lit-type writer professors, I mean, you know, occasionally they know what they're doing. Like, once you yeah. can get the used to the voice and find the, find the flow, it, to put it simply. Yeah, I also found it quite readable. I was reminded of how readable... Uh, literature like this can can be so yeah yeah that's the final word um if that didn't persuade you which i mean if the cow quote can't then i you know i just i have to back <laughs> away that's all that's all we could do i mean we did our job <laughs> we did our diligence and like now we leave it up to the reader or to the listeners anyway so if we didn't persuade you to read this with us we understand and we've got other books chosen coming up um in the coming weeks this one will be the next two weeks obviously but then we got other books amanda tell them about those We've got coming up Soccer and Sun and Shadow by Eduardo Galeano. Then we have A Good Family by A.H. Kim. And then we have The City in the City by China Mieville. I think it's Mieville. Yeah, good job. We're going to go with that for now. Um, those are our upcoming reads. If you want to join us on those, feel free to, you know, go to your local library bookstores and get those copies ready, and we'll jump into those in the near future. Uh, we have been, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. Find us on Facebook and Instagram under those handles, and rate us on the podcast platform you're on. We always appreciate it. It helps a ton, whether it's like Apple, Spotify, the Google Store, like uh, honestly anywhere. We're up most places, so if you can find us there, leave a rating and a review it helps a ton thanks for always listening again we hope you join us for the philip roth novel and until next time we'll see you between the pages 